Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Take out your notes and we're going to dive in. Uh, We are in an important series, I think, uh, on really what we're doing in this series. If you want to write a note down to understand, we are developing our character. And this is a character developing series. A lot of times um, when I am preaching uh, and I look across the idea of um, what it means to communicate long term. And you have to remember that you, you, you have to sometimes, you have to listen to me, but I have to listen to me too. And sometimes when I'm listening, I want to make sure that I'm preaching uh, all kinds of things so that we're growing collectively, we're growing together, and we're doing a character building, building series, and we're putting it together around this idea we're calling the idea Easy Street. And we think that there's a myth in our culture that we're all trying to navigate our way to the most easy situation. We're all trying to get to whatever our idea of living on easy street looks like. And so we're sort of exploring in this series a little observation that Jesus made in the Gospel of John. Uh, and he didn't make it anywhere else. He only made it in the Gospel of John. And in John chapter 10, verse 10, he made this statement. I want us to read it out loud. We're building the whole series around this. John 10, 10. Ready, Go. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And what we're saying in this series, uh, if you're taking notes, is simply this idea. Jesus never promised easy. He never promised easy. Let me just say it one more time. He never promised easy. He promised full. And so what we're doing is we're exploring really what it means uh, to live the fuller life. And we're exploring what it means when Jesus made this statement, uh, what this idea looks like uh, in, in today's time. And so we're kind of pushing into this idea. We're trying a few things on for size. We're trying to discover, uh, if you will, a better understanding of what it means for full. This is oftentimes where we get confused. We understand, in many ways, we understand Uh, the first part of the verse, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's pretty self-explanatory. What we don't understand really sometimes is what did Jesus mean when he said full? And so that's what we're going after. And what we've been doing, if you will, is uh, in our exploration of what it means to live a fuller life, we we are learning that it means that, number one, we're not controlled by our past. And so what I've been doing in the series is I've sort of Open my own eyes and said, okay, what are the, what are, when I have conversations at tables, when I meet in homes, when I'm talking to somebody around a cup of coffee and, and we're, we're working through struggles, what are the things that I often hear? So we're looking at some of those things. And what I often hear is a real struggle for those of us who are trying to get to the fuller life. It is navigating past our past. That's just an issue. It's an issue for, for almost every one of us. And if we're going to live the fuller life that Jesus really meant, we're going to have to do some business around the stuff that precedes us, that's in our past. And so I was thinking about this even again this week because such a part of the series, this was message one, I'd tell you to go back and listen to that. But I thought about a verse where Paul is writing 
to the Philippian church in Philippian uh, chapter 3, and in verse 13, I want you to notice what he says. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget what is behind, and I strain toward what is ahead, and I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a principle in this I want everybody to understand. That when Paul is writing this, first of all, remember this. He's writing this not as a salesperson. He's writing as a satisfied customer. He's, he's writing as somebody who has navigated through this. So he has, he has a point of view. He has a reference. Whenever you're following the advice of somebody, don't take the advice of somebody who's never been through what you're talking about. And we got a lot of that going on in our world. Everybody's got an opinion about everything. Okay, they got no intelligence. Did I say that? But they got an opinion about everything. You got, what you got to do, what you got to do is you, you, you go to people who are learned in that area and you learn from them. And so Paul's got some wisdom. And Paul, this is what he says. This is, this is very fascinating to me. In the original language, and Paul's writing this, in the original language, it communicates this. It communicates, first of all, I would say this. He became absent-minded about his past. Now watch, watch what this means. It means he began to observe... This is really the language communicates this. Selective memory. But now, watch this. It, it's intentional selective memory. And there is a difference. Every now and again, I'm in a conversation with my wife, and she'll say something. I said, really? And she'll go, we have talked about this 900 times. Men, can I get an Amen. I meant, I meant women, can I get an amen? That's probably what I should have said. All right, okay. Never mind. All right. Paul was saying this. If you read Paul's writings, the first one he wrote, all the way to the last one he wrote, and if I think I have this right, it would be, uh, check me on this. I think it's Galatians, all the way then back to 1 Timothy, right? Over half the New Testament. You'll notice stuff that is in some of the earlier writings as he goes on, it's less and less and less. And he gets to First and Second Timothy, mentions it just a moment about his past. He was practicing selective memory. This is how we move forward. And then watch this. He became open-minded about his present. He, he lived, he, when you're reading Paul, this is what you begin to notice. All those who, who just kind of study the life of Paul. He just moved into every situation and said, Lord, what do you want to do here? He got over to this situation. Lord, what do you want to do over here? He would anticipate something out in the future. Lord, what do you want to do there? He, he would just always inviting the presence of the living God into his current situation. That's, a, that's why some of you are here today for, for what I just said. Invite the living God into your present situation. See what he can do. And then watch this. He became single-minded about his future. What does he say? This one thing I do. I press on. I press on to receive the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus on my life. His life just began, began to be in focus. And that's how he moved past his past. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Some of you are here today and you're locked in some stuff 
behind you going, will I ever be out of the tyranny of this? And I would say, yes. Let the Spirit of God show you where you should practice selective memory and move you to the present and get you single-minded about the future. And then we talked about our image. And uh, namely, what we talked about there, we began to vision together, this was last week, how we ourselves uh, can be in the presence of God, how we can begin where we are and allow God to move us where he will. But that only happens when we become authentic. And here's what we did last week. We just made a big pledge. We said, all right, no more community of hope. We're just not faking it ever again. We're all going to be right where we are, and we're going to move forward. This is how Christ-like character begins to take root in our lives. It doesn't happen when you're pretending to be somebody you're not, which, by the way, nobody really likes those people. I'm saying weird stuff today, aren't I? Okay, Nobody really likes it. I mean, and here's the thing. We live in a culture that is saturated with this and what we're doing all the time. We're evaluating our, our real lives. Remember what we said last week against somebody else's highlight reel. And it's just killing us. It's killing us to do that. And God is calling us to a measure of authenticity. And so this morning, what I want to do I want to talk to you for a few moments now about what I think is the third thing that gets in our way whenever uh, we are trying to get to Easy Street. And I want to have a bit of a conversation with you about money. But now it's going to be very different. It's going to be very different because it's not like the normal thing that we normally think about when we talk about money in church. And I recognize it always feels a little weird. I want to talk to you really about generosity and how, how, what a spirit of generosity uh, can do uh, in our in our lives, and it's a very very different conversation. Normally, when you come into church, uh, we always talk about money and we're talking about fundraising and all that stuff. It reminds me of a a friend I know that when he was in the first church he ever served as a senior pastor, like he was associate, he went to be a senior pastor. And every year they did this. How many of you have ever been a, a part of a church where they did they would do like what's called a stewardship campaign? Anybody know what that is? A lot of, a lot of hands. And uh, in the stewardship campaign, they would come up with a slogan, and it would, be, it would help them raise the dollars you know, for the year. And uh, it was his turn. He's a brand-new preacher, first turn. He said, i gotta, I got to come up with a catchy slogan. And, so, and here's his first rookie movie. He didn't invite anybody in. He did this all by himself. So you see where this is about to go really bad, right? <laughs> and so he comes up with this idea, gets a slogan. It's a traditional church. They wear robes. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the slogan on a shirt. And in the moment of reveal, I'm going to zip the robe down and I'm going to flash the robe open. Sounds a little creepy. And I'm, I'm going to tell, show everybody the slogan for the church for the year. So it comes to this big moment, this big reveal. Down goes the, the zipper. He flashes you know the robe here's his shirt and here was his slogan i'm not making this up i upped my pledge up yours <laughs> he he wasn't in that church long he was just breezing through this is not that conversation thank god it's a conversation. I want to have a conversation with you about generosity. Uh, we live in a culture that is in every way, watch this, tight fisted. In every way. We're judgmental, we're unkind, 
we're impatient. Uh, we're not generous of spirit. And when it comes to our resources, um, we hold everything like this. I have some dollars. These are our dollar club dollars. I actually took it out of the offering when it was. <laughs> Relax. Tony would never let me do that. Never. Um, we, we live like this. This is how we live. And, and, and here's the interesting thing. This is what's counterintuitive about what I want us to talk about for a few moments. We, we do this in every way in our lives. Whatever blessing, whatever manifestation comes our way, we, we just hold on to it because that's, that's the way we keep it. If we just hold on to it, I have it. But here's what I want you to notice. You, you can hold on to that, but you can't get any more in that. And, and I, I want to just say this as a general statement. The more we fall in love with Jesus, Jesus isn't going to invite all of us to live like this. And here's what I want to say, and, and you know this is true. The people you know right now in your life that live like this are the people you want to be around. You know that's true, even over on our East Campus. You know you know that uh, the people that live tight-fisted in every regard, you don't want to be around them. You don't want to emulate them. There isn't anything about them that draws you into being a better version of yourself. And there's some spiritual dynamics that are in play in this conversation. And, and Paul, in, in a beautiful way, invites us into a conversation. And again, so if, if, if you're new and you're visiting or streaming for the first time or you're on our East Campus listening to me right now, we don't talk about money a lot in our church. We, we, we really don't. So you didn't trip into a weekend, oh, here, here it comes. And this is not a, a talk about giving money to our church. It's a talk about generosity of spirit. And I want you to see how Paul teased this up. Tease it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to begin at verse 6. These are some of the most beautiful words around this topic in the entire Bible. And they're deep. And here's what he says, beginning in verse 6. He says this, remember this, he says, remember this. Like, write this down. Whoever sows sparingly will also, uh, whoever uh, sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, that's a life principle. He's not just talking about resources. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, lots of alls there, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, this service, he says, that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions, many expressions of thanks to God. 
Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for your obedience and that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Lord, would you use these words to help us grow in our courage and uh, for us to grow in, in a resolution that we might leave this place this morning to be difference makers, no longer blending in to the world around us. This we pray in the strong and mighty name of the only one worthy of our worship, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. Now, little history. Paul, scholars think wrote, he wrote this round 80, 55, 80, 56, some, somewhere in there. And uh, this was on his third missionary journey. So remember, Paul was a church planter. He, he was Saul of Tarsus. He's on the, on the way uh, to Damascus to intercept uh, a, a small sect of believers there. He's one, really the most feared man in history at the time. Uh, he has an encounter with the risen Christ. He goes offline. Some scholars think as many as three years sort of doing the inside work. Uh, and in that transitory period from Saul of Tarsus uh, uh, to Paul the Apostle, comes out of hiding, begins to be this preeminent church planter. Some have said it this way, as though it uh, were a contest, it's not the greatest Christian that ever lived, writer of over half the New Testament. And so Paul has a point of view. Uh, Paul has something to say. And, uh, uh, and, and so uh, he, he's writing, he's on his third missionary journey. Some scholars believe actually that Paul didn't write two letters to the Corinthian church. He actually wrote three, and one of them was lost. We don't have it any longer. So we don't know really whether that Paul is writing here and he's writing uh, the second letter or whether he's really you know, writing the third letter, uh, but, he's, but he's talking about a value that begins back in the Old Testament, and he's, watch this, he's recasting it, re putting, you know, putting it in fresh wineskins and handing it off to the early believers. And he's talking about a life principle. You can see in the verses I read that it does involve resources, but watch this. It's not just resources. It's, it's beyond that. It's, it's about the caricature, uh, the character development of our inner core. It's who we are. In other words, it's like Paul is saying this. We are either going to be persons of generosity of spirit, or we are going to be persons that are going to be restrictive in some way. And he's encouraging us toward the, the former. And uh, I think it's really a powerful, powerful thing. When he gets to resources, he, he really is connecting this Old Testament idea. And when you looked at generosity in the Old Testament, it was to be specific. You get to the New Testament, it's to be sacrificial. You get to the old, you go to the Old Testament, it was to be law. It was required. You get to the New Testament, it's around love. You get to the Old Testament, it's about obligation. In the New Testament, it's about uh, uh, other people. You go to the Old Testament, 
it, it is about a responsibility. And you get to the New Testament, watch this, and it's a response. It, it's, a, it's a response of what has happened to you and in you. And this is a thing that matters because uh, we live in a culture that just does this in every, every possible way. We just do this. And, and can I just say, more and more and more and more, it's like this. And, and if we're ever going to be fully the society, the, fully the world that, that God would envision, if, if that popular prayer of, of, you know, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven were ever to come true, it's going to be when the followers of Jesus rise up and say, we are not going to be restrictive. We are going to be people of grace, and we are going to be people of generosity of spirit. Amen? Amen. And uh, this is important. I was thinking about this in, in some unique ways. Um, I, I want to ask you, do you know who this young woman is? Let me show you a picture. Anybody know who that is? Yeah, this is Marie Kondo. She... Uh, some, some say she's the closet exorcist <laughs> and, and she is helping all of us unclutter. And in her words, what she says, spark joy, right? Yeah. Only she says it in a way I can't understand it. Okay. But that's, that's what she says. And uh, I was reading about this idea about her stuff. One author I read from says this, he says, we all have stuff. We see it. We want it. We buy it. We display it. We insure it. We compare it to other people's stuff. We talk about whether or not we have too much stuff. We envy and pass judgment on other people's stuff. We collect our pile of stuff, and we imagine that if it gets big enough, we will feel successful and secure. We buy a house. We put stuff in it. Then we get a bigger house and put, what, more stuff in it. George Carlin observed, he said, a house is a pile of stuff with a cover over it. Uh, I was doing some work on this idea, and I thought this, um, I read this. We have 40, there are currently 48,500 storage facilities in America. 48,500. There's 8 million on State Road 7. <laughs> Listen to this. This didn't even exist as an industry in 1960. That's happened since 1960. It is currently, listen to this, y'all. It is a 15, $15 billion industry and growing. It is more lucrative than the music industry, our stuff. Can we all just say, we got too much stuff. We just got too much stuff. And, and um, it's sort of interesting. We think it's going to get us to Easy Street. I was reading some quotes by a century ago, by the wealthiest, uh, the people actually who built America. I'm a lover of history. I've collected some quotes. This is Vanderbilt who says this, the care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There's no pleasure in it. Yeah. J.J. <laughs> Astor says this, I'm the most miserable man on earth because I'm rich. J.D. Rockefeller, I have made millions 
I have made millions, but they have largely brought me no lasting happiness. Andrew Carnegie, rich people seldom smile. Henry Ford, I was way happier when I was just a mechanic. Isn't that interesting? But we're all chasing the stuff. And Paul invites us into a conversation about it. And he says, and this is basically what the idea he's saying, we're always going to have stuff. The real question is this, does your stuff have you? That's the question. And when Paul is writing about this, I notice four things. I want to, I want to give them to you and uh, kind of work us through this. And then I'm going to do something. We're going to do something a little different at the end. But I want you to understand, I think in four ways, this is really what Paul is wanting to communicate to us around this whole concept of generosity. Point number one, generosity matters. I want every one of us to leave here today, if you're listening online, those of you who are over on our East Campus, here's what I want you to know. Generosity, generosity, it matters. It shows up in the crevices. When you're not looking, it's there. It matters. When Paul is writing in first or second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, this is what he says. Remember this. Just remember this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. What Paul is literally saying is this, there is something supernatural going on with the subject of generosity of spirit. Some of us are tripped up right now, we're struggling in certain things. Here's what Paul would just say to us, you need to become a more generous person. Be generous in your grace. Be generous in your conversation. Be generous in your forgiveness. Be generous in your perseverance. Be generous with your resources. If you will do that, some stuff will change in your life that right now is holding you back. It matters. I can't say this strongly enough. This is a spiritual principle. Jesus said it this way. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where uh, thieves break in and steal. Store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin don't destroy, thieves do not break in. Watch this. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Your heart will be tied either to your generosity or to your stuff. You get to decide. It matters. Now, if we want to press in and get a little more challenging, can we get a little more challenging? My sermon, I'm going to anyway. Number two, <laughs> number two, Paul says this, our generosity, it should actually be intentional. Here's what Paul would want us to know. Most, most of us, most of us are far too less intentional with our generosity. It's like a spur of the moment thing. I was in Publix a while back, and many of y'all know if you go to Publix every now and again, they'll, they'll, they don't do it every time. I don't, I don't know what the rhythm is there, but they'll, sometimes you'll go through Publix and the cash, the cashier will say, Hey, would you like to give a dollar, uh, to something? You know, and, and sometimes I, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I say I give up my church. That's what I'll, I'll, I'll do that. But, um, some, you know, it just sort of on the mood, how it fits me and, I was going breezing through there one time. I was kind of in a hurry. There was a guy that was kind of taking a long time. And he was chatty with a 
I was trying to figure out what was going on there, you know. And he was chatty to the cashier, and, and finally the cashier, you know, is trying to change the subject. She said, hey, would you like to, would you like to, to give a dollar to whatever it was? And, and he looked, and it was interesting. I was watching this thing, just like watching this happen. And he looked at her, and he said, you know what? He goes, make it two. <laughs> like he's just throwing a flyer, like, man, you know, like he's just throwing caution to the wind. And, and here's the interesting thing. I want right in front of me. It's like his chest just came out. Got this big old smile. He looked like he had solved world hunger. <laughs> and I wanted to go, two bucks, buddy, move on. Like I gotta try I'm trying to buy my Snickers bar, right? So here, here, here's here's the interesting thing. Paul would just want us to know we're just we're just not intentional enough with it. It just, it's always, you know, it's it's just always uh uh, you know, if we get moved. But Paul says, and notice what he says in verse seven, you should give what you have decided, you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Don't ever give reluctantly. Don't ever give under compulsion. No church, no organization should ever pummel you to give. We never do that at Community of Hope, by the way. Uh, that's an outlawed thing here. In fact, you'll hear us say every week, you know, if you're new, this ain't about the money. Don't, don't put money in. Don't, don't, don't do that. I remember years ago, we would do these things. How many of y'all remember when we did Back to Bethlehem? And we did Back to Bethlehem, and it was, it was free. I remember that. I remember even before that, we would, I remember one time we did a car wash in our church, and we said, we had a big old sign. It said, dollar car wash. And they would wash, we'd wash their car, then we'd give them the dollar. People would freak out when we did that. I had this guy cuss me out, throw a dollar into the parking lot and drive off. I kid you not. He came back a half hour later and said, what time's your church service and where do you meet? No weird. It's just, it messes with people's mind. And so, you know, Paul is saying we should be intentional with it. Thirdly, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Generosity uh, wins God's attention and his favor. Verse 7b and verse 8, notice what it says here. He says, don't give under compulsion, going on. God loves a cheerful giver. How many of you, by the show of your hands, you just want to know what God loves so that you can do what God loves? There it is. He loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, all, 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 you will abound in every good work a cheerful giver. A year ago, I was reading a book by John Haidt. He was, uh, Haidt, he was, uh, it's a study in human pathology. And he, he was exploring what lifts the human spirit. Like what, what is it that when we participate in certain activities that make us, we just make us feel better about ourselves. And he was doing this study and it was a very interesting thing. He studied the physical and emotional effects. Uh, effects. Watch this of a pleasurable activity, like he said, like a pizza and a movie at your house with your buddies, over, watch this, over a philanthropic activity. And he studied those people involved in that. And the philanthropic activity, somebody being intentionally generous in a strategic way, blew away 
the idea that you would do what you like to do most, sit with your friends, maybe have a meal, this, this kind of thing. The endorphin and the dopamine rise for being involved in a philanthropic opportunity crushed the competition. Now, here's what I would just say about that. That's a science study. But I think it points to the way we're created. See, here's what I want you to know. You're created to be generous of spirit. And if you've said yes to Jesus, here's what I want you to know. His spirit is living in you. And we know this about Jesus. He was generous of spirit. Most beautiful human being that ever walked on the face of the earth. God in human flesh. You know, I'm captivated with what the scriptures say about Jesus. Friend of sinners. How, how many how many sinners do you know of that want to hang out hang around church people? Okay, I do. <laughs> yeah, all right. But you you get my point, right? Last thing I want to say, and we're we're done. I, I want to say it because I don't want to miss it. Generosity should increase over time. You go back a chapter, chapter eight. You get to verse seven. I want to show you what Paul says. Look at what he says here. He says, but since you excel in everything, you excel in your faith, you excel in speech, you excel in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in love, the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Because here's what I want to tell you. Being rich is a myth. Feeling rich is a myth. I started thinking about when was the last time, when was the time I, I, I thought, when was the last time I felt rich? Can, can I tell you when it was? You're going to laugh. It was in the 80s. I worked at Scotty's. How many remember Scotty's? I worked over there at Scotty's Military Trail. Uh, I looked up the time I worked there, and I looked up, I'd forgotten, so I looked up what I was making an hour. It's paid minimum wage. I made $3.10 an hour. I came home one time. I got a five-cent raise. I came home. I told my dad I got a five-cent raise. He said, son, you're crushing it. <laughs> Thanks for the encouragement, dad. And uh, I, drove, I, I drove a Chevy Citation. I want to show you a Chevy Citation. There it is. That is a chick magnet car right there. Remember to have those fake leather seats in there. You could armor all the seats, and you hang a right turn. She slides right in your... <laughs> Hey, baby. That, that sounds really creepy right now. Forgive me for that. Um, I lost my total train of thought. Oh, that was the last time I felt really rich. Okay? So I guess the moral of the story, if you want to feel rich, you buy an old car and move back in with your parents. That's not what I'm communicating. I just want to say this. It's a myth. You want to feel rich? Do that. Do that. Get intentional with it. Ask God to move it out of just your resources. But Lord, could I 
be rich in my thought life? Could I be rich in love towards other people? Would you give me a sensitivity around me to see who's hurting and move toward that? It could be life-changing. Now, I want to do a risky thing as we close. It's gone over fairly well. I want you to get your wallet out. Right now, get your wallet out. Just get it out. Okay? So hold it up. So once you get it out, I want, I want to see it. Everybody's, people are still digging. Some of you are pretending you don't have it. Get your wallet out. <laughs> I know who you are. I, I see right through it. Okay? So here's what I want you to do. Take your wallet, hand it to the per- No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I, I think in many ways the wallet typifies the barometer of how we're actually doing in this conversation. See, the, watch this now. Don't, everybody, everybody pay attention. East Campus, pay attention. Here's what I would say. Um, it's how we navigate probably with a wallet that, that's saying how generous of spirit we are in every other area. The easiest thing to say is, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kind, I'm loving. I want to say, get your wallet out. Okay, And I know as pastor this, the last thing that ever gets saved <laughs> is our wallet. And today we're going to pray that our wallet gives its life to Christ. <laughs> I'll probably get mail for that, but that's okay. All right? Put your hand on your wallet. We're going to pray right now. Lord, I really believe this is the litmus test of how generous we are. This is it. We can duck and cover in a lot of areas. We could point to obscure examples. But Lord, it it really probably is here. And it's not just about money. It's just about really our willingness to, to, to let you be Lord of everything. Lord of heaven and earth. God, I want to pray for everyone who's listening on our East Campus, everyone who's listening this morning on our West Campus, those who are streaming on the lo- online. And, and God, I want to pray, I want to pray for what this wallet stands for, for work, working hard as unto the Lord, for the opportunity to have decisions to care for our families and for those around us to build your church for those uh, uh, Lord for the opportunity to be generous to people in need like in our dollar club and I pray God more and more you would draw all of us who are listening today to be less tight fisted and more generous this we pray in the name of Jesus and everyone said Amen. Let me just say before we close, last week we had 1,700 in, in attendance. I learned, last, I learned something last week on Mother's Day. All the mothers want their kids to come to church. On Father's Day, that's not the same thing. So we had 1,700 in attendance, and uh, we became aware of a need this week of, of a woman who's going through a, a bitter divorce, and uh, she's not receiving child care. Uh, that's not working. That's not helping. And so we paid rent 
for $1,700 and this week we'll be stocking a pantry so that she can move along with her life. That's what you guys did. So, so it matters. It's important. Now on the West Campus, I want you to hear Chad one more time. And on the East Campus, I'm going to turn it back to the worship leader there. Give a listen. Lord, I really believe with all my heart that deep in our heart, that is our cry. If we've been touched by your grace in our spirit, if we have received forgiveness for our sins, if our names are written in the book of life, it is the cry of our heart that everything about us would become a a measure of praise and a measure of devotion. Might that be said with all of our lives in Jesus' name and for his glory alone. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend.